0: Hello, and welcome to the Herodotus Podcast. This is Episode 2, First Principles, The Prologue. Beginnings are important. The best ones are memorable. There's a reason why opening sentences like, Call me Ishmael, or Happy families are all alike, Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way, or It was a bright cold day in April, and the clocks were striking 13, have stuck with us. But more than just being catchy, openings like these set the tone for what's to come. They create a mood, announce a theme, and, most importantly, draw a reader, or a listener, in. The beginning of the histories does all these things and more. It's a truly remarkable first sentence, in which Herodotus names himself, identifies the major themes of his work, and gives the reasons for his undertaking. Part of what makes it such an incredible opening is, paradoxically, its simultaneous broadness and specificity. The sentence makes it clear what the focus of the histories will be, while at the same time communicating the incredible breadth of the work, that it won't be limited to that focus. Not bad for an opening sentence, right? Let me show you what I mean. Here it is, in my translation. This is the presentation of the inquiry of Herodotus of Helicarnassus, so that the things accomplished by human beings not be erased by time, and so that great and marvelous works, some produced by Greeks and some by non-Greeks, not be without fame, and, among other things, especially for what reason the two groups fought with each other. Yeah there's a lot going on in that sentence. And there's a lot that can be said about it. For that reason, this episode is going to be a deep dive, focused entirely on this one sentence, usually referred to as the prologue to the histories. By the way, this sort of focus will not be typical. If I spent one episode on each sentence of the histories, I'd probably wrap up the podcast sometime in the next millennium. Incidentally, if you want to play along at home and follow the sentence more closely, you can find the sentence on the episode page for the podcast at HerodotusPodcast.com. Now, since there's so much to explore, it's best if we break the sentence up into individual phrases. First, this is the presentation of the inquiry of Herodotus of Helicarnassus. At first glance, this is straightforward enough. Herodotus introduces himself, giving us his name and his place of birth. But even this seemingly simple phrase raises some important questions. This is the presentation. I've chosen to use the word presentation because I feel it's an appropriately neutral translation, but in general, the Greek word that it represents has the sense of display or exhibition. For that reason, many scholars have taken the word to suggest that the histories was performed or read aloud, which wouldn't have been unusual given the relatively low rates of literacy in ancient Greek society. More on that in a little while. Now, the presentation of the inquiry. Inquiry might strike you as a bland word to use here, but the Greek noun that Herodotus has chosen is related to the verb that means to inquire into or to observe. That noun is historie, from which we derive the English word, you guessed it, history. Herodotus's use of the noun suggests that, to him, that's what history is. An inquiring, an investigation. And it was here, in the histories, that the Greek noun first acquired the meaning of history, both in the sense of an investigation into the past, as well as in the sense of a written account of that investigation. With that in mind, we can safely assert that Herodotus was the first guy to say, Hey, I'm just asking questions. But Historie is even richer than that, and its nuances can help us better appreciate Herodotus' use of the term. Just as the noun historie, inquiry, is linked to the verb historiouen, to inquire into, both words are themselves derived from an older term, histor, a noun that means judge or adjudicator. In Greek literature that predates Herodotus, specifically in the epic poems of Homer, a histor was the person you went to when you had a dispute to resolve, whether that was a trifling or a serious matter. Two very different examples can be found in Homer's Iliad, which, taken together, give a sense of the breadth of the term. In one, we see a histor adjudicating a sort of murder trial, with one party, presumably the killer, attempting to compensate the victim's family with cash, while the family refuses to take any money. The other example takes us from matters of life and death to the frivolous. Later in the Iliad, two warriors, Edomeneus and Ajax, can't agree on who's winning a chariot race. Achilles intervenes and proposes that they go to King Agamemnon as a histor, as a referee, with each soldier putting up something valuable as a wager. If you're each so sure that you're right, Achilles essentially says, go put your money where your mouth is, in front of an impartial judge. It's this sense of deciding disputes that further shades Herodotus' use of historie. With this single word, then, Herodotus is telling us that not only will he be looking into matters of the past and giving us the results of his investigations, but that he'll be sifting through conflicting accounts and rendering his judgment on their reliability. And indeed, it is so. From the very first section of the Histories, Herodotus is quick to tell us what he finds credible and what he does not. One more thing before we move on. Herodotus names himself. This may simply seem commonsensical. But in fact, it is another signpost for how Herodotus will be conducting his inquiry. Yeah, Herodotus wants us to know his name, but this immediate self-identification serves another purpose. It is an example of what's known as a sfragas, a seal, like the one stamped in wax on a document to identify its author. By naming himself, Herodotus is setting his stamp on the work from the very beginning. Not only does he want his readers to know that what follows is the product of his own efforts, but, as we'll see later, he's got some serious disagreements with other authorities and isn't afraid to throw some sharp elbows. Now, some more of the prologue. Herodotus gives two explicit purposes for the histories. Firstly, he tells us that he has written his work so that the things accomplished by human beings not be erased by time. It may initially seem odd that Herodotus specifies his topic as things done by human beings, because who else is there? Well, gods. Herodotus is announcing that he's going to be writing about actual events, actual things done by actual people, unlike the texts that any giant work like the histories would, at least implicitly, be compared to the epic poems of Homer, such as the Iliad or the Odyssey. Without even using the name Homer or the word poetry, Herodotus is setting up a distinction that is, in fact, really important to history. He's not going to attribute the great and marvelous things that he'll be discussing to gods or miracles, but rather to people and natural phenomena. As much as possible, this phrase is telling us, Herodotus's work will be grounded in reality. Furthermore, Herodotus states that he has conducted his inquiries so that the things accomplished by human beings not be erased by time. This may seem like no more than a commonplace, but consider the implications of this statement. The word I have translated as erased is used to describe colors that have faded away, like those of a painting left out in the sun. Things that had once been visible might soon have no longer remained if Herodotus had not undertaken his opus. The historian, then, had a clear conception of posterity, that he was writing specifically to preserve ephemeral information from the ravages of time. With this simple phrase, he makes it clear that he was addressing not just people in his own time, but potentially those of the distant future, a goal in which he has, apparently, succeeded. Continuing on, Herodotus's second stated purpose is to ensure that great and marvelous works, some by Greeks and some by non-Greeks, not be without fame. So great and marvelous works. As we'll see from fairly early on in the histories, Herodotus is into physical objects, whether those be giant construction projects like city walls or ornately crafted items like ornamental bowls or statues. These items are marvelous literally wondrous, because of their scale or their beauty. In some cases, they also serve as proof of the stories he's relating. And so by mentioning them, Herodotus is saying, if you don't believe me, go and have a look for yourself, buddy. These works are specifically created by Greeks and non-Greeks. Again, this may seem like a fairly straightforward phrase, but it's actually another key to how Herodotus is conceiving of the histories. First of all, there's the question of scale. Taken together, Greeks and non-Greeks comprise the entire world, so it's not very helpful if we read it as Herodotus trying to narrow his topic. But, in fact, it's the perfect phrase to suggest that he's not going to be telling a small-scale story. And just as importantly, the phrase lets us know that the histories will not be written from a purely Greek point of view. While the Greeks generally come off better than the Persians, especially in the final sections of the text, Herodotus' narrative wasn't written to patriotically praise Greeks or demonize Persians. In fact, it is as much a story of the Persians as it is the Greeks, who disappear from the narrative for long stretches of time. And finally, for what reason the two groups fought with each other? Here, in the very last clause of the sentence, is the main focus of the whole work. You might think that Herodotus would want to foreground this, the supposed reason for the entire histories, and put it near the beginning of the sentence. But, as its very delayed position suggests, Herodotus is going to cover a lot of ground before he reaches the specifics of the war itself. So, with all that said, let me read the opening through once more, so that you can hear the whole thing with new ears. This is the presentation of the inquiry of Herodotus of Halicarnassus, so that the things accomplished by human beings not be erased by time, and so that great and marvelous works, some produced by Greeks and some by non-Greeks, not be without fame, and, among other things, especially for what reason the two groups fought with each other. One more thing to point out about the sentence. It may seem unwieldy and strangely put together, and it is, but do you notice its shape? In fact, the sentence is very deliberately formed as an inverted pyramid. It begins broadly, starting with the author's name. Then the first subject matter is given, the accomplishments of human beings generally, before the sentence narrows its scope to the works of Greeks and non-Greeks specifically, and finally tapers to its exact point the conflict between them. This final clause is also an elegant way to finish off the sentence, as it's the perfect segue for Herodotus to lead us into the next section, the first causes of conflict between the Greeks and their eastern neighbors, which will be our topic of discussion for the following episode. Now, I said I'd return to the issue of the oral performance of the histories. This brief discussion in this episode only skims the surface of the first sentence, which could at a deeper level, take us down pathways leading towards questions of performance, of Herodotus' stance on poetry, and of the intellectual background of the histories. I'm trying to limit the podcast as much as possible to the text and to the topics that it directly touches on, but these other issues are fascinating and provide even more insight on what Herodotus is doing here. I'm planning to start a Patreon so that listeners can get bonus episodes that cover adjacent topics at a greater depth than keeping up with the main narrative would allow. Please drop me a line at HerodotusPodcast at gmail.com if this would interest you, or if you have any other questions or ideas for bonus episodes. I'd love to hear your feedback. You can also find me on Facebook, on Twitter, at at herodcast, H-E-R-O-D-C-A-S-T, and on Instagram, at Podcast. Thanks very much. And see you next time on the Herodotus Podcast.